Brandon Hudgens, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show as your story is a really intriguing and somewhat unusual one. Uh, you're a sub-foreman at Myler. You've qualified for the Olympic trials, but that's only a very small part of who you are and what makes you so unique. And we're going to dig pretty deep here over the course of the next hour or so. But in your own words, who is Brandon Hudgens? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, for probably the first uh, 27 years of my life, I identified as Brandon Hudgens runner. Uh, and even though I had lost that identity at times, uh, I had, have always identified kind of as, as that, um, now I kind of identify as uh, a life liver and a dream chaser um, and somebody that's looking to uh, inspire people with, with what he's doing. Um, so it's, it's, it's a much bigger thing than, than just running. Uh, you know, it, I obviously do uh, a lot of running and it's something that uh, is a, the tool that I use. But uh, as, as I get older now, especially at, at 31 years old, I, uh, identify less and less by just the runner, the runner part of me. And it, that's honestly been to the benefit of my health. So, um, mentally, so, um, because I, I haven't, I haven't had that at, at times to always fall back and identify with it over the last couple of years. So, um, I'm really, uh, honored to just be able to, to inspire people with what I'm doing. And running is really a vehicle for, doing that but you just touched on your health a second ago and a big part of your story is that you suffer from vasculitis which i honestly don't know a lot about and i'm sure many of my listeners don't know a lot about so let's dig into that just a little bit and first of all just try to understand what is vasculitis for those of us who don't really know uh, well, it, consider yourself lucky if you don't, uh, if you don't know about it. And, and a lot of people don't know about it. I sure as heck didn't know about it or had never heard of it until, um, I was diagnosed with it, uh, just over 10 years ago. Uh, it's what vasculitis is, is, uh, it's a subset of an autoimmune disease of autoimmune diseases. So like autoimmune diseases are kind of like the, the broad term that covers a lot of things from like, um, Crohn's and, uh, trying to think of another, big autoimmune disease that people might know of, but Crohn's is kind of a famous one uh, right now because you see a lot of ads on TV and stuff for some of the drugs. But um, what vasculitis is specifically is um, inflammation of the small blood vessels um, in your body. Now, there's several different vasculitises, but the uh, one that uh, I have is known as granulomatosis with polyangitis. Um, uh, formerly known as Wegner's granulomatosis. They've actually changed the name on me uh, uh, about four years ago uh, because uh, Wegner uh, was a Nazi doctor and it became unpopular to have a disease named after a Nazi doctor. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it just goes now by its, um, by its, its medical, medical name um, because I guess he's the one that discovered it uh, years ago back in, I think, the, the 50s. And he, of course, I got the right to name it, but uh, since uh, and it's in its first 60, 65 years of people knew about it, it, it went by Wagner's. Um, but 
certainly uh, with uh, a lot of the uh, political correctness that has floated around uh, over the last few years, uh, the medical community decided to uh, give it a, a proper name. But uh, what it does is, is it attacks my, uh, specifically for myself, um, it attacks uh, that inflammation, uh, attacks my sinuses, my ears, um, my lungs, my kidneys, and if they can't ever get it stopped, um, it attacks my, my heart. Luckily, I've, I've never entered into the heart stage, um, and most patients don't now with, with treatment techniques, because um, uh, up until the late 1980s, um, there was a, a 90, a, between 90 and 92% um, death rate at one year after diagnosis. Um, modern, modern medicine has, has certainly helped put the disease into remission because it's not something that at this day and age yet can, uh, can be cured, but um, you can put it into, into remission. Um, so I, I'm currently in remission and uh, I spent, you know, you kind of, you alluded to my, what for me was kind of a storybook year in 2000 and 2016, being able to make the Olympic trials. Uh, I, in classic Brandon fashion, followed that up with one of the worst years of health I'd had since my original diagnosis. So, uh, it, it came out of re, uh, remission. We don't know why doctors still don't know why, what even causes it. So it's, you know, it, it it's very, very frustrating uh, at times because you, you can be doing everything right. Um, that, that we currently know and, and, and still come out of remission. So that's, that's the frustrating part about the disease and, uh, why now I have to identify with something other than just being runner Brandon. Mm -hmm. Let's hit pause on that for a second and go back to your initial diagnosis. What were some of the symptoms that you were dealing with at the time? And what did it take for you to finally go to the doctor and say, something's not right. I got to get checked out. Well, I kind of immediately, honestly, because uh, I started having problems September of 2007 uh, during cross country season. At the time, uh, I was at uh, a small Division One college called Winthrop University that was uh, in my hometown, and uh, you know I was one of the better better runners on the cross country team, uh, the, despite the fact that I've always suffered through cross country. Um, but I was having problems breathing at, at practice randomly. And, you know, some days I would be up front where I was supposed to be in workouts and, and runs and stuff. And then it was literally other days I was struggling to breathe and I would literally be doing like mile repeats behind the girls team. <laughs> um, and like not even just like with the front girl runners, like with the back girl <laughs> runners, uh, not a place that I was supposed to be. So uh, a, a few weeks went by that. And, uh, you know, the trainers and, and coaches like you, what, whatever's going on, you need to go get checked out. So. I went and saw a pulmonologist and I got diagnosed with asthma all of a sudden at 20 years of age, which was um, not normally a thing. But uh, I, I kind of struggled with that on and off. And, you know, they gave me some drugs and inhaler to try to help with it. Didn't really uh, have a consistent effect. I, I didn't really get better um, the rest of the cross country season and into the winter. I basically just kept getting sicker and sicker. Um, an ENT uh, that was friends with my pulmonologist got involved because it kind of moved into my sinuses and I got a super nasty sinus infection that wouldn't go away. Uh, so uh, I was started on all kinds of antibiotics. And before you knew it, I, I, I was so run down and tired that I couldn't even run. Um, and it took them until uh, April, April 23rd of 
2008 to uh, to diagnose me correctly. Um, and I went through sinus surgery and um, loads of stuff. So I, you know, I I had full blown allergy panels done. I was tested for AIDS. I was tested for Lyme disease, um, mono. You know, you name it. I've been tested for it. Um, and you know, the doctors were just kind of scratching their head. And then uh, finally, I was actually, you know of course, sitting at a track meet when I got a call uh, at about 6 or 6.30 from um, my doctor. I was sitting in a track meet watching my younger sister run. And I was like, why is my doctor calling me this hour? Um, but it was kind of like that thing of like, are you sitting down? And I was like, uh, yeah. And that's kind of when he unloaded on me. Um, and uh, was like, you know, it was both of my doctors actually calling me to say, you know, they were together. Uh, and uh told me that they had found a doctor that was going to help me treating, uh, start treatment and stuff. And they were going to pass me off to a rheumatologist. So that kind of started my, um, my vasculitis journey. So it took whatever that is, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April. So that was about eight months, um, that I had a lot of problems with it, which is a fairly normal, unfortunately, um, time to diagnosis for a lot of patients. And, after that call from the doctor and going to see the rheumatologist and, and finally figuring out what it was that was causing you all these problems, what were the next steps in terms of treatment and medications and how did that affect your overall well-being and certainly your running? Uh, well, I had not been running at all. Um, the best way to describe what running was like, because you're super, you know, you're super inflamed. And especially at that point in time, before I had gotten to uh, uh, the on the right medications and stuff, uh, any sort of running uh, at all felt like the end of an 800. <laughs> um, you know, I would be 20 or 30 seconds into a run and I would already kind of be locking up. Um, so like my blood vessels were so constricted, none of my muscles could get oxygen. Um, so running you know, kind of, I, I don't think I really did any running after, after October. Um, you know, I would try to get out and exercise or try to go to the gym, but it was just absolutely excruciating. Um, but you know, I actually got worse after they figured out what was wrong with me. My kidneys, uh, went, went South in a hurry. Uh, and, I ended up in the hospital for over, for about a week. Um, I, I tell this old joke uh, because they, they were putting me on large doses of uh, corticosteroids, um, which is uh, basically prednisone, but like large gobs of it to, because it's an immunosuppressant. And uh, one of the side effects of large doses of it um, is, is weight gain. So uh, my kidneys were in such bad shape. They were giving me a thousand milligrams uh, intravenously per day. So I put on uh, like between 15 and 20 pounds of water weight in a week. <laughs> in the hospital. So my junior year, I finally put on that freshman 15 that most, most college kids put on, Oh man! Uh, but I did it. I did it in a week in the hospital. So, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff was kind of, kind of tough to deal with. Um, you know, there's a a picture I've I've posted numerous times of, of me floating around and I've got a big circle moon face and, uh, my hair was thinning because, uh, after I got out of the hospital, they started me on uh, six months of, of cytoxin, which is a chemotherapy drug. Uh, and it's oral, so you take it every single day for six months. Um, so, and I was finally into, so you're now, it was like right before Christmas. Uh, so December of 2008, uh, that uh, they took me off of that. And it was a few months after that, that I got declared into remission. Um, but believe it or not, like once I, I got on the chemotherapy and the, and the 
and the steroids, even though I was overweight, I was actually kind of able to start some start some running again. Once the, all the inflammation calmed down in my body, I could actually get some a little bit of oxygen to my muscles. So it was uh, at the time, a, a, you know, a reprieve so that I could actually get out and do some things again. But I certainly was in uh, not very good shape. Yeah. And at that time, did you have any thoughts of being a competitive athlete again or were you just grateful for the opportunity to be able to get out and move your body and live a normal life? Uh, I always wanted to get back to it. Um, you know, you had, you know, because this is also too, and uh, you know, like at the time, Lance Armstrong was a huge thing. You know, this was before all the, all the stuff went down. Um, this was like the Livestrong bands era, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I was like, I can be that guy, you know? And, uh, I had asked my, my rheumatologist like, Hey, like, do you think I'll be able to get back to running? Is this something that's going to affect my running once it's like put into remission or whatever? And he's like, and not understanding at all what I was like, even with the type of athlete that I was or, or what that meant. He was like, yeah, people like live a, a you know, a kind of normal life with this if it goes into remission and stuff like you know i don't see why you could get back out there and start running um having years later he told me he's like if you if i would have knew what type of athlete you were and had you had asked that question i would have said no because i certainly didn't think that was something that you could uh a, a level that you could uh obtain Return again to, right yeah um so naive, naive Brown's like, yeah, can I run again? And doctor's like, yeah, sure. Like, I don't, you know, people can certainly exercise and stuff. Um, you know, exercise is good for, especially small amounts of exercise is, is good for inflammation and stuff. So, um, <laughs> he, but going to the track you know, and busting out 400 repeats probably wasn't on his radar at the time. No. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, cause he's like, I mean, he's a really fit guy. Uh, you know, he had, had run some five K's and, and had like half marathons, I think, and stuff. And, you know, he's, he's still super thin, uh, late in life and had been through the military and, you know, was a really active, healthy guy. So like he kind of understands a little bit of running, but not certainly what, um, high level endurance running is like. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to get back and, you know, since nobody had told me no, um, and honestly, if, even if they told me, no, I was young and dumb enough to probably try to prove them wrong. Cause that's, as my parents have learned, telling me no is kind of a green light for me to try to figure out a way to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to get back to running. Um, you know, unfortunately at the time I was finishing up my undergrad degree at Winthrop and they didn't have what I wanted to uh, go on to get my master's degree. in. so, uh, Luckily, the coaches at App State, uh, Appalachian State, that is, uh, were uh, kind enough to give me a spot on the roster to when I was literally on the shelf for two years. So, um, you know, I I had told Coach Paxton Winthrop that I that I was graduating and needed to get a degree. So they they were, you know, of, of course, um, more than willing to <laughs> to not fight me and and stuff over the release and had been obviously treated me wonderful when I was out because they very easily could have just, you know, kicked me to the curb. So, um, in fact, at the time I was actually still coming to practice a lot and trying to help with, with stuff. And, um, we had a 1500 meter runner make nationals and I was kind of getting my hands dirty for the first time with, with kind of assisting and coaching and stuff. So, um, you know, I, 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 I hated to leave, but at the same time, I was, you know, I, I needed something new. I had been in Rock Hill, South Carolina for 20, 22 years at that point in time. And uh, I didn't know it, but the mountains were calling me. So, um, you know, I, I went off to grad school and was able to 
not, you know, not just get back to a good level, but within my first year at App State, I was actually um, running better than I was my, my sophomore year at Winthrop. So I was extremely excited. And uh, actually on the two-year anniversary of my diagnosis, I actually won won a Southern Conference title at, at 1500. So, you know, that was kind of the culmination of all that coming back. So, um, were you ever you know, wor- were ever worried about possibility of relapse at that point? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so you and I was on at the time because the protocols have changed a lot in the last six to eight years. And at the time I was on a small immunopressant uh, every single day called Imuran. <laughs> And it's actually a drug they give. Um, most people who take Imuram have had some sort of transplant. So, you know, kidney transplant or whatever. And it's so your body doesn't reject the organ. Uh, so I was on a small amount of that. And, you know, they it seemed to have a pretty good, um, you know, assist in, in, in keeping people under remission. But they also, because of some of the toxicity of it, they don't want to leave you on it for too long. But I, when I was at when I was at app, I was still actually on that. So I was in that window um it went until i left app um because i was on that drug for about two years every single day and uh so i but your hands kind of always on the panic button so like you know like i said mine starts with with breathing and sinus issues and so obviously anytime you get sort of some sort of cold or sinus infection your hands immediately on the panic button like oh my god is this is this whole cycle starting over again um but as I would learn over the next couple of years, because I actually had uh, two more relapses in 2012 and 2013, um, actually, as I was trying to qualify for my first Olympic trials, because uh, I had to run 345 in college. And at that time, I think 343 was the qualifying mark. So I was like, I got to go for this. And uh, of course, in April of 2012, had problems. And then again, in April of 2013. So um, I was, it was super frustrating um, cause I, I actually, because, because of how hyper, you know, uh, we are as, as runners, I was actually able to catch both of those relapses before they, they showed up even in blood work. Cause I could just tell something was off. Um, so you just, you, you learn to, you know, kind of when to put your hand on the panic button, uh, and, uh, what you can and can't ignore and, uh, but yeah, no, anytime I get a, a, a sniffle, a, a bloody nose, uh, anything I get, I get a little, there's, there's that little voice in the back of your head. That's kind of always there that, that makes you worry. Yeah. How many serious relapses have you had since your initial diagnosis? Three. So 2012, 2013, and then, uh, at the end of 2016, uh, I started with the sinus and ear problems again, and it went off the rails quickly. And I actually, you know, last year um was the worst my health had been since really since the diagnosis my kidneys were were on the uh were on the walk again and were uh, shutting down and i was like losing a lot of protein and uh so last year was really really rough and that's when they decided to because the protocol changed in about 2013 and i was actually one of the first batch of people to get a new drug an immunotherapy drug called rituxan and that did wonders i i got uh four courses of it over a month, uh, one week apart. And, you know, I was able to have health after that for, for three years. So 2000, you know, I, I was healthy again by 2014 and then 15 and 16 were obviously, uh, the best years of my, of my running career and the best health I'd had. Um, and, you know, I was able to break four minutes for the first time. I was able to, you know, qualify for the trials and kind of be a staple, staple on the, 
you know, American mile circuit here. Uh, but uh, 2017 was pretty much the exact opposite. Uh, it, and uh, it, it was scary because my doctors got scary. Um, so they kind of ramped up my treatment a lot. And I'll, I've been getting those immunotherapy treatments every six months right now. Yeah. And physical effects aside, what did those relapses do to you from a mental and emotional standpoint? Did they ever put you in any sort of depression or, you know, in a, just in a uh, bad place that you didn't think you'd be able to get out of? Yeah, it, uh, it got very, very dark, uh, a few times and, and was really tough. Um, you know, the other relapses, because I caught them so early, the ones in 2012, 2013 were more of a, a mental drain than they were a physical one. And, uh, 2013, I actually had my first panic attack. I threw all my running stuff in the trash. Um, you know, I was kind of having a weird living, living situation going on and wasn't happy. And, uh, you know, I, you just didn't, I didn't see any way out of it. Uh, but you know, if it wasn't literally probably for my friends and incredible family that, you know, it would have been very, very, very easy to check out, um, and, and give up. And, you know, there, there was a few, a few, a few close calls when you're, you know, you're sitting by yourself locked in your room that, you know, looking back on now, look something like, uh, like an over, you know, an overly dramatic scene in a movie. But at those moments in time, they were very, very scary and very, very real. Um, so I've been through, through tons of therapists and, uh, you know, on several different antidepressant medications and stuff and anti-anxiety medications. And that was really actually a lot of the problem in, in 2014 was kind of trying to get some of those squared away because, you know, stuff was happening. Like I just, it, you know, I, some of them were so strong and not what I needed that, you know, you just kind of can't find yourself even motivated to go run and stuff. Like I would take off running and then literally like five minutes later, I'd just be walking and wouldn't even know why, uh, which is not like me. So obviously I'm a fairly, fairly intrinsically motivated person, um, and enjoy actually working really hard and running really hard. So, uh, to, to be like that was sort of something new, but once we got all that squared away and, um, and now I'm pretty much, I, I'm on a super, 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 super low dose of it. Um, as I've learned to kind of handle those problems and just kind of like with my health, like learn what's good and what's bad. And, you know, when I need to kind of take a step back and you know, take a chill pill and, and stuff. So, you know, I, it, it, that's been a process and, and, uh, but because of all the work I'd put in on the mental side, you know, last year, during the roughest year of, uh, of health I'd had in my life, I was in a good place emotionally to, to handle it and had a good support network set up with, you know, my family and my girlfriend and my friends. And, you know, the work I was doing with the, with the vasculitis foundation has given me a good, a good group of people that I can talk to and share with. And, um, cause some days you just have, you know, when, when you're out of remission, you just have some really, really bad days. And, you know, as, as much as I want to stand up and wave a flag and be like, you got to toughen it out and stuff. Some days you just, you need to whine and complain and to, to somebody that, that understands. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I was literally able to survive last year because 26 year old Brandon would not have survived last year at all. Hey, we're going to take a quick break to thank the first ever sponsor of the morning shakeout podcast. It is mercury mile. 
Mercury Mile fuses fashion and function for all runners, men, women, road runners, trail runners, track runners, however it is you choose to define yourself by creating a personal shopping experience regardless of where you are in your running journey. It's fun. It's super easy. I just got my first box the other day and was really impressed by how well they nailed my style. Here's how it works. Go to mercurymile.com and create a profile. Then you pick a shipping date, and a few days later, you'll receive a curated box of incredible running apparel from a variety of brands that is put together by your own personal stylist. You keep what you love, send back what you don't. You get free shipping, free returns, no subscription necessary. Super easy, super fun. Try it today at mercurymile.com and use the code THEMORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word when you check out and save 10 bucks on your styling fee. My thanks to Mercury Mile for their support of the podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Let's go back to 2015 when you broke four minutes in the mile for the first time at Sir Walter Myler in Raleigh. What did that performance mean to you? Uh, it was like having a thousand pound gorilla jump off my back. <laughs> uh, I had been close a lot and... Uh, I find, you know, as, uh, as runners, sometimes I feel like we're so often, you know, you get in a certain shape and you're kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, praying for everything to go right. So you can hit a time. Uh, it's like, well, if I get out there and things click and things feel good and the pace goes right and the weather's right. And, you know, you're going down this list of everything that has to go right for, for your PR race to happen. Uh, I finally got, you know, into the, in the shape in, in, in 2015 that I just knew I, it was just a matter of showing up to the track and doing it. And I was going to do it at, uh, one of the races that I had lined up that summer. And, uh, it, it couldn't have happened at a, at a more special place. Um, Meredith, where they host Sir Walter at is actually the college my mom went to. Um, my girlfriend ran at North Carolina state and, uh, I've worked, uh, North Carolina State's cross country camps for like eight of the last 12 years. Uh, so I have a ton of friends in Raleigh. Um, I've got extended family in Raleigh. So Raleigh actually all through college was kind of my second home. So, and, and, you know, as well as a, a lot of the listeners, you know, that first sub four could come, you know, it could have come in, in Europe. It could have come all the way on the other, on, on the other coast or up, up in the Northeast with, with no real support around, you know, I could have been by myself. It may be on TV, you know, it may, it might've been on TV. It might've been on flow track. It might've been on runner space, but, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to be surrounded with, by my family and my, my coach had driven down from Philly. Um, you know, that, that, that night has just meant more and more. It, it was one of the last times I actually ended up seeing my friend Cameron Bean, um, before he passed away, um, cause he had moved out of Boone. So it just, it, as time has gone on, that that night has gotten more and more special for, for loads of reasons. So it, it wasn't just, it was the culmination of a lot of things. And um, it was obviously super exciting to finally be a part of that, you know, that club that I had been dreaming about since I was 13 years old when I saw Alan Webb do it uh, in, at the Prefontaine Classic on TV. Um, so it, it was it was the culmination of a lot of stuff. And Honestly, at that point in time, it just kind of became a weight. I was ready to get off my shoulders. When did you decide to use running in your performance to help bring awareness to your disease and inspire others to overcome big obstacles in their own lives? Uh, that kind of started in 2015. Um, I had tried to, con there's not a lot of foundations for us um, 
There's not a lot of research money for our disease. Um, so that community is kind of tough. I don't want to say tough to break into, but there's just not a lot that they they can do. And so I had contacted a couple of the, the foundations that existed, um, but they didn't really understand what I was trying to do. Um, so, you know, I, uh, after I broke four, obviously it got um, a little bit of media attention. Runner's World did an article and that got circulated within the vasculitis community. And they, uh, the vasculitis foundation finally reached out and I was, they just wanted to do like a little interview thing. And I, I through the course of that interview, uh, they became how aware I was, like, like how aware of me wanting to help. And of course they became super excited and, and stuff. So we, that's, you know, that happened in the fall of 2015 and, you know, in preparation for the Olympic trials and kind of that whole build up, we uh, started the victory of a vasculitis campaign for the, for the foundation and you know it's been going strong since since then so it, it was something you know it, it's vasculitis as i kind of alluded to is something that's very uh it's it's very personal and um a lot a lot of people it takes them a long time you know it took me basically at that point in time seven or eight years of dealing with it to really want to discuss it i mean if people asked about it um i i, I would talk about it i certainly wasn't shy um away from it but like it was not something i brought up it's it was just kind of something that i I just felt really uneasy discussing kind of at times and because so often you can kind of look normal and 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 stuff and people don't understand it because they've never heard it you know you don't lose your hair you don't you know there's not a lot of these symptoms that people associate with somebody being really sick so it's, it's it's really hard for people to understand, and, and and rightfully so. So you know that's kind of been, you know, my deal with raising awareness for it is you know there's a lot of people that are that are that are suffering in silence because of it. You know, it's destroyed families, destroyed relationships. You know, it's it's tough. So you know, it it brings me a lot of a lot of honor now to be able to be the person that can that can kind of fly the flag for them and um, put a lot of awareness out there. You know, it, you know. Every ch- chance I get, you know, I try to I try to talk about it now. And I raced with the the Vasculitis Foundation's logo on my jersey in 2016, and we'll be doing that again here this year. Uh, I would have in 2017, but obviously I was out of commission. So, um, you know, it's it's something I take a lot of pride in now. Last year, when you were out of commission, did you ever think that was the end of your competitive running career, or did you know that with some diligence and by consulting with your doctors that you could eventually get over that um and you know and and move forward to start with i just was like well i'll just get another hit of these immunotherapies and we'll move on right like one set was fine um but that really wasn't in the cards um you know if you'd asked me that question in january or february of last year i'd have said oh no i'll like i'll get these treatments and we'll move on with life and um we uh did that and uh it didn't really work and i got worse so um that's when it kind of took a more aggressive protocol um and honestly it's you know you know i i know i knew you know i i I was planning on running for another four years anyway um now you know each 
each four-year cycle is a process and a lot of people go through ups and downs and um you know there's a lot that can happen in those four years and i knew that you know given just two if i can get two years of help i know that i can at least be back in the position that i was that was in in 2016 but obviously the goal would be to be better than that <laughs> uh so that's not really how i wanted to kick off that cycle um it wasn't it it kind you know I've kind of been trying to set up things in my life um, for post-professional running. Um, not that I'm not focused on on professional running now. In fact, I actually for the for the first time in my career have been able to actually just run and not have to work jobs um, full time. And you know, in the last year and a half, thanks to working with the foundation, you know, um, I coach athletes, um, you know, remotely online and stuff, and you know, I wrote a book last year because apparently I can't just sit still. Um, so, you know, I've been setting up things to kind of not, I don't want to say take that next step in life, but, you know, that, you know, I don't know how long my legs are going to last or, you know, what my health situation is going to be. So I, I've, I don't want to say I'm making plan B's because I hate making plan B's. Uh, that's just not the type of person I am. And it drives people in my family and my girlfriend absolutely bonkers. But, um, setting up things outside of running and for my future and uh, getting involved with the foundation more and, and all of that so that if this running thing doesn't work out that I'm not completely, uh, you know, kind of left naked standing in the street with a pair of running shorts on uh, <laughs> with no real skills. So um, I've been doing, you know, a lot more of that stuff than, than I had in the past and preparing for the future. So it's been different. Um, it's been, uh, you know, exhilarating finally being able to work for yourself. Like it, it, as you know, like doing things that you're really, really passionate about and, and give you a lot of good positive energy instead of having to work through, um, a job that, you know, is draining and is just a means to an end. You know, it's, you know, coaching people is incredibly exciting. Working with the foundation is awesome. Um, you know, and, and being able to share my story, uh, through written word and, and stuff like that is, is absolutely, I mean, it's just been energizing. Um, and it's what got me through, through last year when I, you know, it, I, I didn't really honestly know it wasn't until really November last year that I kind of got the green light, um, from the doctors to kind of start running again, um, without worrying. Uh, it was right around Thanksgiving. So, you know, there was a time between, I would say about, June and November that I didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, and I, I had to kind of come to peace with it. Um, you know, I've, I know I've accomplished some things in my running career that um, are pretty remarkable through from what I've, I've been through and uh, the story that I'm now trying to tell. And uh, if for some reason I don't ever get back to that level, I have to, I have to be happy with what I've accomplished because um, you know, the, the deck was kind of stacked against me for most of my career. Sure. And I think that's, what's so incredible about your story. And I want to pull on one of those threads for a minute. You fall into that amorphous category of sub elite runner in air quotes, um, fast enough to get into some big races, but not so fast that, yeah, not <laughs> so fast. That you, yeah. Not so fast that you can make a viable career out of yeah. it. Um, overcoming your own physical struggles and all of that. How challenging has it been to navigate that, that semi-pro uh, landscape? Uh, I, I 
it's not as hard now because I've developed a lot of relationships with with meet directors and race directors. Uh, so that part of the sport is not as taxing as it used to be. But you know, I don't have an agent. I didn't have anybody to get me into meets and stuff like that. So I didn't have anybody to plan my travel for me. So you know, when I was literally when I was working at, at a resort there in Boone, you know, I would spend probably half my time at the resort when I wasn't when I was kind of had idle time. I would spend most of it, you know working on your race schedule, contacting meet directors, trying to find races that you can get in. Um, but once I got there and, and, you know, consistently performed well, um, in 2015, 2016, uh, when I've, when I've tried to race this year, it's just been a matter of, uh, uh, one email and they've, um, been happy to, to welcome me with back with open arms. So, um, those first three years or four years were tough because, you're all at that time too. Like, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a travel budget or anything. So you're running a lot of local college races and stuff. So you, you spend a lot of time trying to get a time to try to get into a races and, you know, you're kind of that, which doesn't allow you to focus on the, on the bigger races that you want to later in the season and stuff. So, you know, things aren't as methodical as you would like them to be. And, it, you know, it's, it's frustrating because there's not, there's not a structure to, to really help you through that process at all. So, um, and I, you know, I, my coach certainly really didn't have a lot of experience with it and I, I didn't. So I, you know, I had I known honestly how tough it was going to be, I, you know, I may or may not have, have chosen to do it, but you know, once you're in it, like I got a chip on my shoulder about it and was like, no, I'm going to, you know, I've, I've earned my right to, to be in here and, you know, you get passed up, you know, especially but for people that have agents and stuff that are guaranteed spots on the line. And at that point in time, it did nothing but kind of fuel the fire to go somewhere else and run faster. So, you know, it, it was part of what fueled me those first two or, you know, two or three years out of college. And how important is sharing your story, Ben, for the furtherment of your professional running career? Uh, you know, I think a lot of, and you know, our, our, our sport at times, you know, lacks a good human interest story. I, you know, obviously Gabe Grunewald's got a story that's fairly similar to mine. Um, you know, and there's, there's other stories of people overcoming ad adversity and stuff, but, um, you know, it, it brings outside eyes to our sport. And, and you know, there's basically now thousands of people uh, across the world that have, put their eyes on track and field because of, uh, of what I've done. And, you know, all I've ever wanted to do is make running cool for people. You know, it's, it's a sport that I've spent 21 years in and I've thought it's the coolest thing in the world. And, uh, I want people to feel the same way that I do. And if my human interest story can, can bring a few more eyes to it, then, um, you know, all the better because, you know, I, I, you know, and I think we're all in agreement on this is, you know, you know, some wonderful things have happened with, with the internet over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years with, um, the ability of track and field to have a, a, a space online, but, you know, we're still kind of looking for that next step. And, you know, if I can be a part of that, either as an athlete or when I get done, um, and, and giving back to the sport and creating opportunities for, for people to succeed, um, then all the better. And, you know, anything that's going to bring eyes to the sport, uh, in a positive way, obviously not in a, uh, negative way, you know? Sure. 
What are some of the cool elements that you just touched on that the general population is missing out on? Uh, to me, just racing is always, I, I love watching people race. Um, you know, it's, I can watch kids race on a playground. <laughs> you know, uh, I've just always thought racing was, was so much fun to watch. And, uh, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's why I love the road mile series, um, that have kind of, has kind of popped up across the, the U S with, with help from bring back the mile and stuff. You know, those are, and I like, I understand the importance of, of time trial races. I'm not talking crap about those cause those, those are a necessity of our sport, but they're not as entertaining to watch. Um, you know, there's normally that point in time, one or two people that are fighting for the win, you know, and we all kind of, you know, if, if you know anything about the sport, you kind of know who's in shape and who's not, and who's going to be able to handle, handle the pace. But, um, I just love watching people race. I love watching people do, uh, incredible athletic feats. And I, I think you can see all sorts of things in, in, in track and field, you know, whether it's, you know, I was, my girlfriend and I were sitting on the couch on Sunday night watching Sigmund Laughlin just absolutely destroy <laughs> the SEC. And when you're watching somebody do something great like that, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's inspiring or, you know, going back and, you know, to the Boston Marathon and watching, you know, watching Desi and Yuki just, you know, lay it to the field. You know, that's far more exciting to me than, than watching, you know, people try to not turn into roadkill at London, you know, um, you know, the, and those, and those things, you know, are certainly like entertainment in their own right, but I don't think a lot of the, the general population can really, really get behind them because to the general population, a 416 mile or a 420 mile looks just as fast as a, a 350 mile. Um, what they want to see is people race. They, you know, these road miles, a lot of times they don't care how fast we're running. They love seeing six or seven or eight and nine guys barreling down the street, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder, just, you know, fighting for that line. And, you know, those, those always have great crowds, you know, Sir Walter is kind of that way. They have great crowds, you know, that that's the stuff. And when, when people are, are given the opportunity to get in front of more people, it's exciting. Along those lines, who or what in the sport of running today is exciting or inspiring you personally? Uh, honestly, Desi was the, probably the most inspiring thing that I've seen in a long time. Um, as somebody that in the mountains has run in those sort of conditions in that high 30 degree, uh, rain to watch her go out there and tough it out, um, was just, you know, I have no desire to run a marathon, <laughs> but, uh, seeing her do that, I was like, man, to be a part of something that cool, like, you know, it, 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 it got me a little choked up, you know, seeing somebody that has just, has put in time in the sport and, you know, often kind of been, you know, second or third fiddle, um, to, to get her moment, uh, and shining moment potentially, you know, in her career, obviously we don't know what's going to happen next, but, you know, she knows that she can, can hang her hat and call herself Boston marathon champion. You know, I just, I, I was, I was so incredibly inspired by that. Like, it's just, it, I loved it. And, you know, it's what our sport needs. I mean, that's, you know, it, it was when I went, you know, when I went into the locker room at, at Gold's gym later that day, you know, it was, it was on the TV on ESPN and 
you know, because of what she did and what she fought through. And, you know, if we get more opportunities like that, man, you know, I think our, it'll be good for our sport. Yeah. No, and I would, other people do it. Yeah, I would, uh, I would totally agree. I think what the sport suffers from is a lack of, of good storylines. And I mean, what better storyline do you get than an American woman at America's most popular marathon on the worst day for marathoning, uh, potentially in history coming out with the, coming out with the W. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that's inspiring on so many levels. And I would, I would agree that seeing more of that can only help generate interest and excitement in the sport of competitive distance running. Yeah. I mean, they do. We, we need, we need storylines. We need races. And, you know, that's what's, you know, why I, you know, I don't watch a lot of the other marathons. Um, I, I, I check up on them. You know, I, I'm a, a huge fan of the sport and have been since I was a kid. Um, and, you know, it's just like, because it's, you know, it's not that I don't love seeing a world record, but every performance can't be a world record. And I think too often we've kind of come to expect that because of some of the freaks that we've, <laughs> we've seen in recent years or potentially some of the substances that those freaks have been on. Um, so I get jaded and, you know, it, it, it takes a lot to, um, to sort of inspire me. Um, but yeah, I mean, Desi for sure, it was, was something that I was just completely in awe of. I mean, she's ran so unbelievably tough in that race and, you know, she even doubted herself, which I, you know, I applaud her for admitting because so many of us, you know, so many people, you know, see us athletes and think that we don't have struggles or you don't go through those struggles in the middle of a race and stuff. And, you know, she was very open and candid about it. You know, I mean, she, she thought she was going to drop out and, you know, that whole situation with her helping Shalane and everything like, you know, that was, you know, just like that shows you where her head was at. She was right. like, I can't do this. So to, for her to admit that and, and not just kind of like wash over that is, you know, that it's, I think it's empowering to people. On the other side of the coin as someone who's competing at a high level and who has been a fan of the sport, most of his life what's what upsets you about it uh how long do you have until <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tape runs you out know, yeah <laughs> you know fragmentate you know the, the fragmentation of it and you know there's still a lot of greedy, greedy people in our sport and and by fragmentation i mean you know there's just there's not a lot of support for a lot of people um you know, most of us, as we all well know, most of us live below the poverty line. You know, we've heard all the statistics. So when all of that stuff, like said, like because it's so fragmented and so hard to make it when there are people doing it the wrong way, uh, it it makes you very angry. Angry, And uh, like I said, it, I, I've become very, very jaded. And, you know, people talk on the circuit. You know, people know kind of who and what. Um they're associated with and uh what those people have been through and uh <laughs> it it's maddening you know it's maddening to see uh to see race directors invite some of those same people back um to see those same groups invited back to races and to see our governing body really do nothing about it um i was actually having a conversation with uh with kit fox from runner's world uh, about it recently and it's like you know i I even, you know, at times blame, blame our, the, my own competitors and, uh, 
the media because like I would, you know, if, <laughs> if I was sitting at a pre-race conference and there was somebody, you know, there from either a certain group that's, you know, coach was on their investigation or had had athletes test positive um, or their agent had lots of people test positive. Um, you know, it, you know, Desi, you know, Desi spoke up in the pre-race conference and, and said something about, you know, Ritzenhein and, you know, how, how she felt about it. And I think we need more people that are kind of willing to make them uncomfortable. And they're teammates. <laughs> yeah. And they're teammates. And that, 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 that's what I applauded when she said something, when I saw that she had said something about it. It's like, you know, we need more people that are willing to speak up because far too long, most of us have just kind of been, most people have been silent about it. Um, and we all know what goes on. And, you know, like that, that Icarus documentary has been obviously in the news a lot over the last couple of years. And I get asked by, about it a lot by, you know, people that don't know much about running and cycling and stuff. And they're like, oh, did any of that surprise you? I was like, no, none of it is. <laughs> like, if, it, if, you know, if you know anything about endurance sports and none of that, none of that surprised me at all. There wasn't one thing in there that I, that I was like completely blown away by. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's our job as, as athletes and, and the media to, to speak out against it when, when you see stuff that's going wrong and, you know, cause it, the sport's hard enough to deal with. And, you know, people I know are always going to cheat and look to cut corners. That's just, you know, life on this rock that's flying through space. But, um, for a sport that's so, so pure, like running and it's, it, it, it's maddening because it's so tough for most of us and it would be, you know, really, really easy for a lot of us to, to choose to do it the wrong way. But, you know, I believe most of us are doing it the right way. Um, but obviously there's, there are some that are looking for that, that extra edge to get ahead. And honestly, you know, I, I'm not mad at them. I don't blame them. I blame our governing bodies for not, for not making it, uh, it, it's, it's not, not worth it to do it. You know, they're not, they don't have, most of the time they don't have to pay their money back. They don't have to, you know, they can just disappear down a, down a rabbit hole and never be seen from again. And with, you know, so what, maybe they don't continue to compete in the sport, but they made their money and they moved on, you know? So until that changes and it's not worth it for them to, to cheat, then there's going to be no, you know, no reason for them to change. Right. We could go on about this topic for another couple hours. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid that may have to be a separate show unto itself. But I want to bring this back to you for the last couple questions. One one thing that I thought about as you were going through your story and the things that you had struggled with, and this is certainly a hypothetical question, but what do you think you you could run in the mile if you didn't have to deal with the effects of this debilitating disease? Well, I've I've always had my eye on um, the South Carolina state record is uh, 335 by a guy named Terrence Harrington. Uh, Terrence was, uh, oh God, my runner nerd self's coming out here. Terrence was, uh, and I'm going to try to get this right, and I'm not, I promise I'm not going to look it up. Terrence, I believe, was U.S. champion in 91 and 93 at 1500. I know he was on the 92 Olympic team as well. Um, and he was also the state record holder uh, in South Carolina for the state meet uh, at 408. And, uh, I've, I've had my eye on that time and, uh, you know, I, I know had I been, and this is that right race, right situation thing. Um, but I, I don't ever think I've been too, uh, oblivious to what kind of shape I was in. You know, I think had I, had I gotten in one more of the right race, 
um, before or right immediately after the trials, I probably would have run 337. Um, so, you know, I, I was starting to knock on the door. You know, that's the time that, you know, I would like to have as mine. <laughs> I would like to have been the fastest person ever from the state of South Carolina. I think that would that would be cool. So my eyes are set on that. Um, how fast do I think I could have gone without all of this? And this for no reason. I don't even know. I don't know if it's just the symmetry of of the number or what. But um, I've had my eye on three thirty three for some reason my entire career. I don't I don't know why. There's not. There's literally no reason behind it. Um, but I, f- I always felt like if I could run three thirty three, that would be pretty. Because that's right around three fifty for the mile, and you know, uh, right around the times that a lot of my heroes and stuff had had run. So, you know. I, I know I everything probably would have to go right for that have to have happened. Um, you know, maybe I'll still get there. You know, I'm not putting any limitations on myself, and um, you know, I I'm certainly a you know I think capable of running something in that mid to low three thirties ballpark. Finally, bringing this full circle back to the first question I asked you, um, how you identified yourself, and you'd say for so long you'd identify as Brandon Hudgens, the the runner. Um, looking ahead to the next couple of years at some point, you know, you are going to hang up the spikes and call it a competitive career. When that, when that's done, how do you want to be remembered? What would you like your legacy to be? Uh, you know, just somebody that, that was a fighter that, that kind of continued to claw their way through the sport, despite everything that, that has happened. And, uh, had had success you know i i I don't want to just be somebody that qualified for the olympic trials once and you know made a semi-final or whatever you know i want to be somebody that's name is is in contention for for teams and you know that's my goal these last three years and you know i'm going to be doing everything i can to to get there but you know i i want to be known as, as as somebody that basically made made running cool again and uh you know, you also oftentimes get asked, uh, you know, like, what's your, you know, top three running moments or whatever uh, in your career? You know, one of them for me, honestly, uh, was there was a kid uh, that used to be a camper of mine, uh, an All-American Cross Country kid camp named uh, Thomas Graham. And Thomas, I think, was third or fourth at Foot Locker and went on to run at Stanford for, for a few years. Uh, but he got asked in a, like, I think it was a die stat article or something back in the day, like, um, like who had inspired him in running and, uh, you know, tons of huge names have, have worked at all American cross country camp over the years. And Thomas, Thomas made the, made the comment that, you know, I, I made, you know, as a, as a dorky nerdy kid that he was at 14 years old and I guess kind of insecure, like a lot of us were at that age. Um, you know, I was somebody that, that made running cool to him and made it seem like it could be cool to other people. And I mean, I, I mean, that's one of like, you know, I, I said it earlier, that's, that's what I want. I want people to think what we're doing is cool. And, um, if my story can be as, as somebody that fought for that and fought through a lot to, to make that cool for other people, then, then I'll be able to retire very happy. I love it. I think that's a great place to end our conversation really enjoyed it brandon before we split ways here where can my listeners connect with you online and follow your journey uh 
on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I am at BHudgeNasty. Uh, I earned that nickname in college, and I refuse to change it, uh, quite frankly, now, because I love it when like a serious publication has to uh tweet out at the hudge nasty <laughs> so all right so uh, no hold on i got i got one more question then what's the what's the story behind the nasty uh i there, there's not actually one story behind it when i first got to at there was uh a guy the guy that was kind of our team captain who josh hauser who was you know i think he ran 407 or 408 in a mile and he was just like the quintessential um team captain guy like the speeches that he could give up before con- like stand up and give before conferences was, was like stuff that you see in like remember the titans and stuff he was just that kind of guy and not and, like it, when he did it it was never you know it was never fake it was never forced it was just who he was and uh he coined that nickname and it just kind of stuck of course and uh I have kind of refused. I've, I've thought about changing it several other times, and no, you can't maybe get rid of that. But yeah, it's you know it's stuck, and uh, I've tried my best to to live up to that reputation. So, um, be hush nasty on on Facebook and Twitter on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, there is www.brandonhudges.com that uh, has information if people are interested in, uh, you know, in joining my athlete stable. There's also stuff on there uh, about my story and links of um, the Vasculitis Foundation and, and the uh, Victory of Vasculitis campaign. And, and uh, also, my book, Going the Distance, is available on Amazon. Uh, if anybody's interested a little bit more in, in the stuff that I've shared, it's uh, it's not a running book. It's not a vasculitis book. It's a uh, it's a, a life liver book because we're all going to struggle with stuff. And uh, the last 10 years of my life have given me a lot of tools to kind of succeed through a lot of those struggles. So I, I just try to share some of those, those lessons and tools that I, that I have at my disposal um, to, to help people on their journey. Um, Cause we're all going to have tough times, man, you know? Um, and, you know, everybody's pain's real, no matter, you know, what they're going through. Um, we're all going to have tough times and, you know, if, if I can help some people through theirs, um, you know, then then what I'm doing, you know, means something and, uh, you know, makes what I'm doing very, very fulfilling. And that's a wrap on this week's show, which was brought to you by Mercury Mile. Go to mercurymile.com, create a profile, you pick a shipping date, and a few days later, you'll get a curated box of incredible running apparel from your own personal stylist. You keep what you love, you send back what you don't. It's as easy as that. You get free shipping, free returns. There's no subscription necessary. You can try it today at mercurymile.com. Use the code THEMORNINGSHAKEOUT when you check out, and you will save 10 bucks on your personal styling fee. Many thanks to all of you listening into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to help out the show, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It takes a few minutes, but it makes a huge difference. Uh, you can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. Many thanks to all of you who have already supported the show. It means so much to me. And finally, I'd like to thank my audio engineer, John Isaac of bearsrecords.com. He doesn't get enough credit, but thank you, John, for cleaning up my mistakes and making this show sound as good as it does. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraley, and thank you for listening to the Morning Shakeout podcast.